What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Right now on Fast, a brutal first half of 2022 in the books. You have to go back to Richard Nixon for such a rough start to the year. The question now is, are there now some beaten down bargains for investors to snap up? Plus, betting on Brazil will get the options action on why traders are piling into the EWZ ETF. It has dropped more than 27% this quarter. So why are traders so bullish on this Brazilian fund? And later, a once in a generation buying opportunity. Almost. Our Bitcoin baller says a cryptocurrency will be a great buy at the right price. He'll explain. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market side in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Brian Kelly. We start off with a trip back to the 70s. Now, not the go-go disco era. This is the fake disco music. But the era of surging gas prices in Watergate and the last time the market saw such a steep drop to the start of the year. The S&P 500 today closing out its worst first half since 1970, dropping more than 20 percent already in 2022. It's the fourth worst start on record. Stocks slumping again today, though they close off their lows, but yields, they kept falling. The 10-year yield spending most of the day below 3% for the first time since early June. So with a historically bad run in the books, how do you set yourself up for the second half? Tim, what do you say? Well, this, this was uh, an ugly, ugly quarter, to put the least on it, especially when you think about every asset class. Usually you're getting a dynamic where stocks uh, are selling off, bonds are rallying, you're getting something else. In, you know, I mean, this dumpster fire, by the way, Nets fans, looks a little bit like what's going on for you right now, but we'll leave that for another show. This is a case where uh, falling interest rates, though, today, and as we go into the third quarter, uh, historically have actually been bad news, good news for stocks. Let's see if we're there. I don't think we're there. And in fact, um, I think the bond market actually still might be volatility for investors and not necessarily a place to be running, especially as we think credit spreads start to widen out a little bit here. But again, as we've seen over the last couple of days, this is a case where the recession rally is in full force. Uh, asset classes look expensive and some actually don't even look that cheap. Karen? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what Tim's saying. I think that, I mean, we're going to see volatility, which I think was one of your uh, one of your letters, more of that. But I think this sort of soft landing seems less and less likely, right? But I still come back to the idea that a recession, a data that shows recession or near, isn't the end of the world, right? Because as we always talk about, markets are forward-looking mechanisms. And I think, you know, when I look back at the dot-com bubble bursting, that as terrible as it was for so many sectors and every sector in 2000, there was a lot of, you know, wheat with the chaps, so to speak. So I do think there's still stuff to buy. I'm just looking for cheap, cheap stuff where the balance sheet's in good shape. You know, and I look at something like a VTV, which is a, uh, a value ETF. Things were just really cheap and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to hit the ball out of the park. But I think they're decent. But they will. Tied. 
But they will. Oh, they I mean, but that's money. the history of bear markets. It's mm. like when you're buying things on value after things have been just collapsed, you know what I mean? They get cheaper. And that's the hard part. And, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time, I guarantee you, over the balance of this year, talking about how to leg into these things in time horizon and risk management, because those are like really important aspects of it. And you are a value investor. And there's very few people who probably know how to identify value as well as you. Just because something's down 60, 70, 80 percent from a high after we just had a, you know, mania in the stock market or large parts of the stock market doesn't mean that it's Or cheap. even at a low price. Absolutely. Yeah, no, yes. and, and I'm not saying that's what you were implying okay. whatsoever. It's just like I'm like buying stuff like and if I don't have a long term time horizon, it's going to get ugly. I mean, I because, know that you're buying stuff. No, I know. But I mean, no, like, but, but here's the thing, because right, we had such be, a disconnect yes. last year and, and then the lead up to it. You know, no one no one felt that was natural, but you had to BTFD because that's what you did in that rate environment for so long post financial crisis. And I'll just say, as we think about how the market closed into the quarter end, into the first half of the year, you said it's the worst half um, that we've had since 1970. There's a couple of things that were very troubling in the last couple of months. You know, the fact that we had outperformance in energy and staples and utilities, these kind of defensive areas and the way that they collapsed. Now, I know that a couple of them, staples and utilities bounced back a little bit off their lows, but they were down nearly 20 percent from their highs in a very short period of time. The way energy has collapsed, you know, it was one of my final trades, XLE, just the other day. Hey, it better hold that 70 level. I'm just saying that there's some things that really make it feel like that things are going to get nasty. And the last point I'll make today, JP Morgan, new 52-week low. Nike, new 52-week low. Target, new 52-week low. Deer, new 52-week low. It was like pronounced here. And that doesn't make me feel that excited right now headed into Q3. I, quickly, though, I, I think there are some things also that have done very well that I'm equally as scared of. And I want to point out consumer staples. And I want to talk about a craft trading at 45 times. I want to talk about uh, Kellogg's and General Mills and names that have really crushed it. Um, to me, I would rather be in cash than to own Hershey's at 35 times right here. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the dangerous part about this market, because we've had a lot of defensive sectors which don't look very defensive. Well, to that point, a lot of these stocks that were labeled something are no longer those things anymore because of their run-ups. Right. What was once considered perhaps a pocket of value you know, may actually have the multiple that a, a growth stock would have had and vice versa. I mean, what has, what has gone into the value index now? Matt well, that's it. And, 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 and Netflix. And I think this is where Dan was going also. You know, valuation is relative to a lot of different things. It's relative to your peer group. It's relative to yourself. It's relative to a five-year historical. It's also relative to where interest rates are. And at this point, you know, those value metrics of yesterday are totally irrelevant because rates are not at zero. They're not going to be at zero. We have inflation. Uh, and newsflash, by the way, the, the front page of the FT says that central bank are telling us as of today we're no longer in a low inflation place no kidding ecb uh, i think ECB. you're late to the party Thank thanks you. a lot thanks um brian kelly what did you make of this decline in yields i mean we broke three on the 10-year yield today yeah i mean you know i i, I think my base case here is that we're going to be going through these periods of kind of peak inflation recessionary hope and that's what we're seeing in the bond market but I don't think inflation goes away. I think we're in a long-term inflationary, stagflationary trend, which is terrible for assets. And you guys are just talking about, you know, 1970s, right? Well, 1970s, the stock market didn't bottom until 73, 74. We're eight months from the peak here. We've still got some time. So not only is it about price and value, it's also about time. And I think probably the most appropriate thing right now is to sit on your hands because if you don't have a soft landing, we're certainly not getting economic acceleration. So that leaves the third option, which is a hard landing, which means none of these things are priced. 
for a hard landing, particularly something like a Hershey's or a Heinz ketchup, which I used to own but sold, because if you don't have a job and you don't have money, you're not buying Heinz and you're not even buying Hunt's cat soup. You're probably buying store brand. Cat soup. You're, you're buying the no frills. Mm. Store well, they brand. spell it different. That's, it that's is clip, yeah. sure. it does. Exactly. It is spelled cat soup. Or it something is. Well, weird. there's it's ketchup a, and then there's cat soup, different. and I think that it has. It, it, they are different. He's right. There's a technicality to it, which I don't quite know because I'm not up on my condiments. You shouldn't but be. Karen. Well, I have a. Can I ask BK a question? Sure. Okay, so BK. What do you think? I mean, we see some commodities rolling over, right? We've seen lumber kind of rolling over. We've seen uh, copper come in. Um, what Do you think that's a head fake and that they will rise again? Or it doesn't matter, they're so high anyway, you know, inflation's still here. What do you think? Yeah, so, so first of all, for the OG viewers, I kind of feel like I'm on the prop desk tonight with all you guys on the desk. <laughs> and Karen asking me a question. <laughs> It's like, whoo, feels good. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, listen, I think it's, I, I, <laughs> I do think it is a head fake. I think if you look at all the commodity markets, they're very, very tight. Um, we haven't seen China really reopen at all. That would be a lot of commodity demand there. Not only that, you have structural issues with the commodity markets where it costs more to get these things around the world because of the Ukraine issue. Now, so I think we're probably close to a bottom. I mean, to me, stuff like copper looks like a place I want to start picking at. Gold certainly looks like some place I want to start picking at. Oil's a little trickier because you have the refinery issue. I could actually see gasoline rip higher and oil stay flat because you just don't have any place to put it and it's a spot market. But you know, when I look at those markets, you get any inkling of demand and let's call it from China, those things are off to the races again. I want to go back to the conversation we were having about valuation and what, what valuation is at this point. And you mentioned historical valuation. Mm -hmm. 15 and a half is what the 10-year mm -hmm. historic. Um, and so in this sort of market environment, do you use that as your benchmark? I mean, what do you use as a benchmark? I like how people say, oh, it's, it's close to the historic PE. So are you saying 15 and a half on the S&P as a multiple yeah, is yeah. your historic? I don't think you can. And again, I think it's sometimes it's, it's a function of what kind of earnings, tailwinds or headwinds you have as well. Uh, 15 times, again, relative to the world we had for the last five years is actually very, very cheap. And, and the place where we were saying at 20 times with rates at zero and we were getting the kind of growth that we had even in the first half of 21, that wasn't a terrible number. But, but again, I, I go back to even some of the, think of some of the biggest mega cap tech stocks and some of the, 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 the trendiest stocks over the last couple years. Think of NVIDIA. It's down 43% in the second quarter. Um, was never cheap, uh, but, but when it was trading at 55 times for the kind of growth you were getting, also their exposure to gaming, their exposure to crypto, their exposure to sectors that were really seemingly high growth leading edge sectors, you were willing to pay more for it. Do you feel that much differently about NVIDIA now, or is it just a function of market dynamics? To me, NVIDIA is one of those second half stocks that I, I, I don't think semis are going to start to suddenly uh, turn around tomorrow. I really don't. I think that's also, by the way, one of your check marks. For, for starting to see when we've hit a bottom. We start to see Sammy's bottom. But something like an NVIDIA is something uh, very different to me than a, um, a Lyft or an Uber, which were destroyed also in the second quarter. And I don't think they change that much in the next couple quarters. So when you say 15 and a half, with what as the tenure, let's say? Right. Yeah, see, I mean, I guess it depends that, on each it, year because yes. it's just an average P.E. and it doesn't give you the context of what right. the long-term yield is. So we don't have that context. Right. And I bet that it's that it's lower still so that 15 and a half is actually on the low side mm. for what earnings should be. But we're at a different place in the cycle. And where should earnings yeah, be? Where should earnings be? That's it. But also, I think, Tim, you brought up another point. One of the other uh, things we think about is P.E. relative to itself. Right. Right. And that's that's important. I think to me, you know, 
that sort of plays into our, our companies growing or not. But if we look at something like a meta, the P.E. to itself is below the bottom of the, you know, where the chart is. Yeah, I know Tim's been doing this much longer than I have, but I would just say this. In my experience, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry, I just had to do it. In my experience, it, 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 it really is that multiple is a moving target. It doesn't really matter other than in inflection points, right? Other than when we're about to actually have that pivot by the Fed. When the Fed decided to pivot last year, no one cared about inflation worries. No one cared about this stuff. People were paying 23 times forward for the S&P 500. So they didn't care then. Now they care the whole way lower as they're trying to game out when the market will stop going lower, when the Fed will make their next move. So it likely overshot to the upside, that multiple. It's going to overshoot to the downside. People are going to be screaming about it being too cheap in the low teens, but stocks will continue to go lower until we have a change in earnings estimates, that sort of thing, going forward, right? Where they're just too cheap and then they're like, well, at 12 times or 13 times, that's too much. So I don't know, it's a, it's a tough way to trade, I think, the market, which is why I think you want to focus on stories, you want to focus on secular shifts, you want to focus on sentiment that gets way overly too bearish on the downside that, at some point. That to me, and by the way, BK, we know you're out there. We're going to let you in. I, I know you're probably feeling lonely. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but the, the bottom line here is it, it's a case I'm where good. it... <laughs> cash levels pe- cash levels are high. Pessim- pessimism levels are high. Sentiment levels are low. I mean, these are things that put you in a decent position going into the second half. And these are the things that, uh, despite the fact that ingress- investment-grade bonds had their worst first half of a year ever, mm-hmm. um, these are situations that I think you've set yourself up for a pretty decent place in the second half. All right. Well, the Treasury market seeing a wild ending to the first half. Let's bring in on-air editor Rick Santelli for some context. Rick, I saw a stat that the 10-year, the 10-year bond specifically had its worst half since 1788. I don't know. I know that you weren't around. I'm, I'm not trying to make a joke <laughs> about this. Um, but that's a long time. And I'm wondering if you can give us the context in terms of where we are for yields here in terms of support levels. And what do you think are the fundamentals driving it at this point? Well, my own feeling is, is that we could have, in many ways, seen what the run rate is going to be for the Fed. The, the high rate, the normal normalization rate, in my opinion, was going to be around 3.5%. And if you look at the quarter to date of two-year, two-year got up to very close to around, what, 245 intraday, 243 on a high close mm-hmm. mid-June. Look at quarter to date chart on 10s. They got up to, what, 348, 349 on a closing basis mid-June. So I think that... Three and a half percent is something definitely to keep in mind in terms of the Fed and what they need to do. You know, they have a lot of extra help that most people don't even know about. You know, today, the big news that nobody talked about was uh, that the reverse repo facility, that parking lot for all that money, reached two point three four trillion. Big deal. What does that matter? Because you know what? That means the Fed tightened again. How? Everybody says, what do you mean the Fed tightened again? Where do you think most of the money in the money markets and most of the cash in the entire economy, the M1, 2, 3, you know where they're all going? They're all going in that parking lot. $2.34 trillion worth. That money used to be in margin accounts that were holding stock positions or in accounts holding treasury positions. But now, basically, it's a no duration, no credit risk. You get 155 basis points, and it's just drawing the money in. I think rates are going to suffer from the economy suffering, and the economy is suffering. And I fully suspect in three and a half weeks, we're going to get a very low second quarter GDP. Will it be negative? I can't tell you, but Atlanta Fed now doesn't look all that terrific. And finally, look at Boone's. We could learn a lot from Boone's. Boone's on a quarter to date, well, they closed at 134 today. Less than two weeks ago, they were at 177. 
They closed the quarter at what, 55 basis points? I guess what I'm saying is Treasury yields have zoomed as sovereign yields have zoomed, but now they're all starting to float back down. And that's the part we need to pay the closest attention to. And truly, the Fed could talk as tough a game as they want. Inflation probably did peak, but that doesn't mean prices are going down. And that's going to be the new topic in about nine months. Hey, Rick, it's BK. So you, you set me up perfectly on, on the inflation. So, you know, there's a lot of studies out there that'll say, uh, you know, with inflation, let's call it even if it gets to, it was CPI was 8%. Let's even say if it gets down to 5 or 6%. The Federal Reserve, the ECB, all these central banks has said, listen, we want positive real rates. So if, if prices stay the same and or go up a little bit and we have CPE, CPI come down to 5%, but two years still at 245 doesn't the Fed have to raise an awful lot more here just to even get those real rates that they've already told you they want, those positive real rates? You know, I want a Ferrari, BK, but I'm probably not going to get one. <laughs> the Fed wants real rates. The ECB wants real rates. Risk Bank want real rates. But in the end, they're a lot more real at the levels you're talking about, even though they're negative to inflation, than they were just a few years ago. I think the issue that is going to dominate Fed thinking and Fed strategy is going to be jobs, jobs, jobs. And I think we're still clinging by a string on creating them. But I think that the runway for that is getting real short. Hey, Rick, it's Tim. You're the guy that knows the answer to this. We hear all the time about all these foreign investors in the U.S. bond market that are going to run for the door. Uh, our dollar, your problem, our treasury market, your liquidity. Um, talk about that, because if that ever changes, um, some of these technical factors could outweigh the fundamentals. You know, it's been something we've always worried about since day one, and now we're aiming in various directions, pointing at entities that we are pretty sure aren't going to be stepping up to the plate. Hmm, like the Federal Reserve, probably not going to be buying the QE days, at least for the moment, are over. I don't worry about that. I still say at the end of the day, the U.S. markets are the best cleanest shirt and a dirty hamper. We've used those analogies and metaphors over and over in the last seven, eight, nine years. But it's true. So I think foreign interest is going to resume, and I think it's going to continue. And even if it drops down, and the Japanese are my biggest worry, because the Japanese probably aren't going to be able to afford to be such great customers. <laughs> but in the end, if you look at all the investments the Japanese own, Ours are probably the only ones they're making money on right now when you consider their stock market peak 44 years ago. Wow. Rick, it's always great to have you on Fast. Good to see you. Thank you. Rick Santelli. Um, Brian Kelly, I want to go back to you in terms of what you're asking Rick, because I think it's an important point. I mean, your, your point basically is that if we don't see any progress on inflation, the Fed is actually, and we see rates continue to go lower, the Fed's going to actually have to hike a lot more. Yes, that's exactly my yeah. point. And, and the reason why is I think they've already lost the fight on inflation. The BIS had a great report out last week where they talked about when you have a 20 to 30 percent rise in commodities like we had in the first quarter of this year, inflation a year from now is one percent higher. So we've already lost that fight. We've got government stimulus checks coming from Europe, Great Britain, California, likely here in the U.S. once we get to the midterms. Demand is not going to go away. Therefore, you're going to have this demand out there. You're going to have tight markets and prices are going to go higher. And, I, the, and the lower that rates go, the Fed has told you this. We want real positive rates. And that means they want the interest rate to be above the rate of inflation. And I don't think they care about 
jobs yet at all. That's the government's job, they're saying. So I think they're going to have to raise interest rates an awful lot to try to tame this thing. I get the BIS um, study that you cited, BK, but how does that jive with the five-year, five-year forward break-evens, which have dropped to levels we haven't seen since pre-pandemic? I mean, that indicates that the expected inflation is actually going to be lower. And so, you know, you have this setup here where maybe historically you've seen inflation play out, but then the expectations that we're seeing right now priced into the market are that actually inflation has, has peaked. Right. But I would say that they're wrong about that. Right. We okay. saw this in All the right, 70s. This, this is exactly what, what played 70s. itself out in the 70s. Everybody thought inflation peaked. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where we're at. We're in this stagflationary environment. And back in the 70s, you forget, I mean, BK had the hair wing back. He had platform mm-hmm. shoes on. He had, you know, he had the, he had the big lapels. Um, and a onesie. And, <laughs> how old BK is. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 platform the, shoes and a onesie. I still have the onesie. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say, when you, when you think about where rates are and where they have to go, um, the, the point is that the central banks, specifically the Fed, are going to have to toe the line. And we've been talking about, you know, kind of this stagflation environment where like, the Fed can't be cutting rates anytime soon. The problem here, though, is that the inflation is not even from commodities, it's from the labor market. Mm-hmm. Um, the labor market, which structurally you know, had to change, and I think there's a lot of really important social things that really we can't factor into where labor uh, is right now. But, but, but labor had to go higher. That has not fed in. That is enormously sticky. And it's inflationary. Coming up, after hours action, shares of Micron, the chipmaker on the move after reporting results, will bring you the details from the quarter. Next, plus, is Tesla heading for a slowdown? The chartmaster, Carter Worth, says there could be a sharp break coming for the EV stock. He'll dig into the technicals. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back into. Every day, Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Micron. Shares moving lower despite the company reporting an earnings beat and revenue in line with estimates. Christina Partsnevelis got the details on the outlook, which is really driving the stock lower. Christina. Yeah, it's driving it lower, but it did reverse course a little bit just in the past hour or so. And this is despite guiding down 22%. So you got the regular supply chain inflation, all headwinds mentioned on the call. But the company did say COVID controls in China hurt their outsourcing and assembly business. China revenue is down 33%. And that caused a 10% drop in consolidated company-wide revenue, and that's having an impact on their Q4 guidance. Now for the business channels. The company expects data center, auto to support DRAM, as well as NAND memory chip sales. 
but both of those categories are already showing signs of weakness. The comments right now are adding to concerns that chip demand is slowly starting to dry up and that customer inventories are bloated. Micron CEO predicts customers will adjust their inventory levels in the second half of this year. And speaking of demand, the company is forecasting PC units will drop 10% year over year and projects smartphone unit volume to be down mid single digits also in this year. Lastly, management is getting aggressive. They said they plan to walk away from business that doesn't meet their pricing objectives. They also said right now they like the share price of Micron and plan to repurchase shares more aggressively in Q4. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelis on Micron. So at a time when the Fed is actively trying to weaken demand, Micron's end customers have too much inventory on their hands. It's not a very good combination. Yeah, and, and they also serve, obviously, a lot of end markets that saw a big pull forward during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So we're likely to see kind of a reset of some of that. I mean, obviously, automotive, there's a lot of industrial applications for a lot of their product that are really important. But to your point, if inventories are really high in a commoditized product like this, you're going to see weakness in the underlying pricing. And just as far as the stock's concerned, I mean, that was a big guide down. Those are some of the sorts of things you want to see. You want to see companies not do death by a thousand cuts. You want to see some big chops, right? And maybe that's one of the reasons why the stock has recovered a little little bit in the aftermarket. But listen, going back to 2018, the stock was cut in half at one point. Like it's only down 46, 7 percent. It's probably oh not going to bottom. Well, but it's pro but 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 from I, highs I not, not too long ago, it's probably not going to bottom right around here. It's going to bottom from lower levels. But it hasn't had this P.E. in, in several years. But I think that the reaction to the stock is really interesting. Let's say instead of putting this out, Two days ago, they put this out. Uh -huh. We're pre-announcing because we're going to be at a conference. Right. I think it would have gotten a far worse reaction. And so I, I don't know how much of, you because know, disappointment. Well, in the past couple of days, I'm sure it's sold off, too. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so right. it's, it could okay. all be the same. It could end up at the same yeah. price, but it certainly feels different mm -hmm. to have the stock sure. down, you know, a buck and change. Right. As on a, down what looked like a yeah. really big headline miss or guide lower. To me, the, the biggest things in these headlines, and I, I, they jump out of the page to me that smartphone unit sales expectations have declined meaningfully um, for calendar 2022 mm -hmm. and that unit volume to decline by single mid. I mean, you know, this to me is the story. This is the story that we want to, again, I want to hear. I know it sounds perverse and I'm sure it sounds uh, somewhat vindictive, but uh, I need to see Apple tell me that, that unit sales are coming down. I need to hear that demand was pulled forward. We haven't heard that yet. We need to hear that. And Micron's telling you that. It's going to happen. All right. Uh, Got to take a break. Much more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. First half horrors. Stocks closing out the worst first half in over 50 years. But it's not all doom and gloom. Our traders lay out the names worth watching. Plus, emerging opportunity. Options traders setting their sights on Brazil. So is the key in EWZ. You're watching Fast Money. Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Major averages closing in the red as the S&P finishes its worst half, first half, in more than five decades. That index down more than 20 percent this year. The Dow shedding more than 15 percent and the Nasdaq losing nearly 30. But despite this market pain, our traders are still finding some opportunity out there. So we asked them, what is the one name? one should own going into the second half of this year. Tim, what do you say? I think I answered and gave three names, so I kind of cheated. But uh, I said Disney, uh, I said Walmart, and I said Alibaba. Um, let me defend Disney for a second. A 16 multiple, uh, a company that to me is trading back to before they even had a Disney Plus business, a place before even they really ran into some of the dynamics around uh, either people were questioning what their leadership was, or uh, obviously we've, we've reaffirmed from the top the company's been split into pieces where essentially you've got distribution versus studio, uh, and then you have theme parks and whatnot. I, I just think the valuation, it's one of the great companies. This is the kind of a name you are picking at. And the valuation to me, very undemanding. The balance sheet has been repaired. Uh, Disney would be a safe bet for me. Dan, what do you say? You yeah, so it? I think what he's doing in Disney makes a lot of sense. And the way I would say is I don't want to own this one right here, but I think it's going to be one of the first mega cap stocks to bottom when the market does bottom, and that's Amazon. And one of the reasons the stock has been hit very hard relative to some of its mega cap tech peers is because, A, they did get the benefit of that pull forward in 2020, but then they kind of overextended, right? So we keep hearing about the logistics and the, and the distribution centers and the hiring, that sort of thing. Well, the stock is telling you that that's a problem right now for valuation. But at some point, they're going to get leverage out of that, right? And so, yeah, they're going to cut some people. They're going to sell off some stuff. So, to me, I think at some point, Amazon's down like 46% or so. This is Andy Jazzy's first year as the CEO of this company. And you say from a stock performance, not great. I do think that he is going to have a moment in the next five years that he's going to look like Satya. He's going to look like Sundar. He's going to look like Tim Cook. And I think buying this thing cut in half after the period it's been in and the investment period is going to make some sense. But I do think there's another guide lower, and I do think there's another leg lower in the stock. Karen, what's your pick? So just, uh, you know, looking at it from here, what's going to happen the next half? Do you want to not lose money? Do you want to make the most money? Right. Those are kind of two different. Those are two different things. However, putting it all together for me, it was big cap pharma. So I cheat a little bit too. not just one answer, but they all tend to move together just for the idea of, you know, we have relatively cheap valuations, high dividends. Um, and you, you have a product that customers really need. It's going to be the last thing that they want to give up or have to give up. And so I think the space is not overvalued. And so that's where I want to be. That's where I am, yeah. talking my book. You mm. just bought a little bit of uh, Alibaba, I which did? I think, yeah. think was interesting because that was one of Tim's, I mean, mm. Tim went off the charts. I took a few. I kind of cheated. And the gold but. star and all that. But just quickly on Baba, Tim, can you just give us the synopsis, the elevator pitch for that one? Yeah, and this isn't a, a P.E. story, uh, even though the P.E., you know, people start talking about some of their growth numbers. Their last couple quarters, they've grown low teens. Uh, so what? I mean, this is a company that, that's down two-thirds from its all-time highs. This is a company that really has been dismantled on some level. I spent a lot of time in Russia, by the way, back in the day. This reminds me of one of the Russian oil companies that basically had uh, their CEO thrown in jail, and they took back the company. 
country. This is China's version of that. Uh, I think they've gotten control in the way they need to. Uh, I think this is still one of the most important tech companies in the world. Forgetting the fact that China's economy is getting as much tailwind from the macro, from the government, as any other. I like Alibaba. I think the worst is over. I cannot wait to find out what BK's pick is, him being so negative on (laughs) equities. Brian Kelly, what do you say? Yeah, well, you know, Karen made a really excellent point. You know, depends on what you're trying to do. Do you not want to lose money? Do you want to try to make the most money? I'm choosing door number one, and I don't want to lose money, so I don't want to buy anything for the foreseeable future. I just look at all these things and think we still have got some more downside here. We've got, I mean, I already laid out all the reasons in the beginning of the show why, but, you know, Micron brought up something. They're going to buy back stock. I bet you, and I'm not talking Micron is going to stop buying back, but I bet you all of those buybacks, remember, we had a whole period of time where you'd issue credit at low prices and buy back your stock. That game is over. And nobody's even talking about that yet. So I've got no buyers here, an inflationary impulse. I don't know. There's a time to fish and a time to trade. BK's going fishing. All right. Well, you heard the trader's picks. The chart master is now here to give us his take on one of these picks, Carter Worth, of Worth Charting. What do you say? Well, uh, the one that most appeals to my eye is Baba. And uh, let's look at the charts and try to uh, figure it out together. So we have, as Tim referred, a stock that has lost uh, a tremendous amount of value. You see it here on the screen. In fact, its peak was $319 in October of 2020, and it made a low uh, just recently in March at 73. That's a 79% decline. The next chart, let's take away all the lines, all the arrows, and it's clearly a downtrend. But the current action, you can see that a little bit of a curl up And that's what's important. So if we add a trend line to that, what you'll see is that we're starting to move above the trend. And the arrow that I've drawn is just exactly that. We have established at 79%, and now strength that is very impressive relative to most equities. Uh, So relative strength, good, bullish price volume correlation. And then another chart, the exact same chart yet again, instead of the automated actual trend line, we use the automated. The 150 day moving average is now inflecting. So whether you draw the line, as we saw in the preceding chart, or you allow a moving average to measure trend for you, it has all the hallmarks of a bearish to bullish reversal. So good news for Karen and Tim. Um, I want to talk Tesla, Carter, because you had a provocative call out on Tesla. uh, We're expecting delivery numbers for Q2 over this weekend. Analysts are expecting slower growth for the first time in two years, especially because of the China lockdowns. What do you see? Well, I mean, look, this is a, this is a darling, or it was a darling that is less of a darling. But the question is, after dropping 50%, is it somehow taken care of, or is there more risk? My hunch is more risk, and let's try to uh, figure it out. First chart, we have a trend that's incontestable. I didn't make the line fit. It is the line, and we broke trend. And notice, after breaking trend, we've been sort of consolidating this tight range below the trend line. So you have what you would call equilibrium. Another way to do it is to actually uh, highlight, and you'll see that here, what is known as a diamond formation. And it it sounds kind of wonky. It doesn't matter what you call it. It represents equilibrium. After a great sell-off, down 50%, the debate is on. Some people step in. Should we buy it? Should we sell it? 
But usually you're resolved in the direction of the primary move, right? So you have a sharp sell-off. You have the debate, equilibrium, buyer-seller, is it good, is it bad, is it finished? Yes, it is, no, it isn't. And then you have the second down leg. And uh, presumptively, that's what's coming. You'll see here on the next chart, a measured move. The width of this tight consolidation is about 170 points. Were you to project down another 170, it takes you to as low as $450 a share. Now, here's the remarkable thing. Let's just put this all in context. The street, right, in the beginning of the year had a price target of $1,200 a share, 50 analysts. They've reduced that number to 900. So they've reduced their estimates for this stock looking forward by 30%, but the stock is down 50. Usually price action is ahead of analyst estimates. We think the price keeps getting weaker and you'll see further revisions to price targets. The context to this um, sharp Tesla job drop that you're predicting, a sharp market drop as well, Carter, or sharp you know, you mega cap tech that, stock drop? Yeah, I, I suppose that would be convenient or would make sense. It would be tough. But in many ways, Tesla is idiosyncratic. And I think extreme weakness could happen in and of itself and have nothing to do with the market. But surely general weakness, uh, Tesla would participate. Carter, thanks. Good to see you, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Dan. Yeah, I, I like his charts. Um, I, I'll tell you this. Psychologically, if we're going to say it's an idiosyncratic, if we're going to say all that stuff, how much sentiment, positive sentiment still wrapped up in this thing that is down more than 40%, I'd say there's a date and time at a price, November 13th and 2020, the S&P added it or announced that they're going to add it to the um, S&P 500. The stock went from November 13th okay, of 2020 to January. It doubled. It more than doubled. I think if it round trips that move back to 400, I know that sounds kind of crazy on the chart. That makes sense to him. I think that would take out a lot of that overly exuberant sentiment that has built up in this, bit, in this bull period. So to me, I, I actually think in the quarter is likely not to be particularly great, and that might be the impetus for it to break down. I mean, if Tesla went to 450, that would shake out. I mean, think of how Tesla had been for so long and still is, in some sense, a barometer for retail sentiment yeah. and, and how it's oftentimes the most actively traded option in the United States on any given day. That's a lot of retail trading driven. And so if it breaks to 450, that may be a good flush for the market. Maybe, I, I, I think it's going to be one of the last battles fought. And let's not forget that it's about 4.3% of the NASDAQ right now. So of the triple Q, uh, it was probably five and a half, six at one point. Uh, you, you can't tell me that if, if that has that kind of a move, that it's not in influenced by the overall market. Coming up, is it time to bet on Brazil? Options traders eyeing some action in South America will tell you how they're playing this emerging market next. Plus, some stocks had a particularly bad start to the year, far underperforming the S&P, but one of our traders sees opportunity in some of these first half laggards. The names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the EWZ Brazil ETF closing out its worst quarter since March 2020 as the emerging markets trade continues to struggle. Despite the pain, one options trader is making a big bet that Brazil could bounce back. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, one of the rare bright spots today. EWZ traded more than 2.7 times. Its average daily call volume calls outpacing puts by over two to one. One of the areas where we saw some activity was the July 28 calls. Institutional buyers in there. One trader paid about 50 cents a contract for a little over 5,000 contracts. The buyer of those calls is obviously betting that there is some potential upside over the course of the next two weeks. 
Is there an emerging markets expert in the house to get uh, to take on Brazil? Okay, Tim, we'll go to you. Somewhere, somewhere. So, so Brazil outperformed the S&P by almost 50% for the first five months of the year. As Mike pointed out, it's down 20% over the last month. Uh, the drivers to this trade are obviously commodities, the dynamics. You've got 23% of that ETF is in Petrobras and Bali. Um, but I also think that the currency, as it often is in emerging markets, uh, look, dollar's been on a 20-year run. If you get some weakness in that dollar, I think it's, it's a great backdrop. Remember, EM overall, which is 40%, China has outperformed the S&P by about 15% in the last six weeks. Mike, thanks. Mike Co. see you tomorrow. That's when the show is. Options Action, full show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, we are closing the books on a rough first half of the year. And Netflix came in dead last. But one of our traders is nibbling on the struggling streamer, along with some other bean-down names. The details straight ahead. Plus, a crushing day for crypto. Bitcoin dropping below 20000 But Brian Kelly says we are close to a once-in-a-generation buying opportunity. More on that uh, straight ahead and Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Netflix is the worst performing stock in the S&P, down 70% this year. One of our traders is nibbling on this, as well as a handful of other first-half dogs right now. And that trader is... I feel like there should be a drum roll. Oh, Dan, which is a total man. surprise. Oh, no. You know, listen, I, I said like last week when I bought a little uh, meta or Facebook, the last time I bought it was to cover a short. I mean, I kind of feel the same way about Netflix. And again, I mean, these stocks have given you tremendous opportunities to, to, to buy them when they're down uh, over the last five years. Um, but right now, I just think unusually, if you can look by 2022, I think there's going to be another guide down for Netflix. I think there's going to be another guide down for Snap, for Meta, like for a bunch of these names. But you got to start somewhere, right? And, you know, like, uh, you know, it's hard to buy stocks when they're in this sort of downtrend. And I know that's one of the major rules of investing is don't buy stocks when they're in a downtrend. I just think that when we come out of this period, I think some of the leaders from the last cycle are going to be the leaders of the next one. And I think stocks like this are going to present an opportunity to make two, three extra money in a market where the NASDAQ 100 is only up 100%. And that's what I'm thinking about longer term time horizon in a name like this. Yeah, you're already in it. so Yeah. And, and the story here is, I think, a valuation that you can defend. I think that, you know, the, all the dynamic around the the password sharing and all that. And at first, that's a negative, but it's like it's only a positive. I mean, if, I, I, even if they don't convert one of those people into an additional subscription, um, you're still at the same place you were. We always have known that the growth of subs for them, first of all, that UCAN was was very saturated. This was an international story. Um, the, the death of linear TV is still a secular trend. I mean, people are still going to be streaming more tomorrow than they were yesterday. And, and this is still the biggest player in the world. So um, I like the valuation. I like that I think they actually have to force uh, free cash flow positive and profitability, which they didn't have to do before. Uh, they're going to have to play by those rules now, and I think that's positive. BK, I want to go to you because um, you have been known to have put it in your top drawer stocks and leave it there for a very long time. So although you say <laughs> that you would not, wouldn't necessarily buy equities here, is there anything in that drawer right now or is it empty? <laughs> No, it's empty. Completely oh, emptied out. Okay. Yeah, no, no. My, my drawers are empty. Yeah. No, I mean, look at look at Netflix, <laughs> right? I mean, listen, I agree with everything you're saying there, but, you know, Guy, uh, I mean, uh, Dan just said it could drop down another 50%, and then you might double your money. Well, why not wait for it to be down 50%, and then I could triple my money? <laughs> By the way, that's going to go into the Christmas tree. It is. It is. <laughs> a year-ender. Yeah. My drawers are empty. Yeah. Right. Um, coming up, <laughs> generational buying opportunity in crypto or Bitcoin baller Brian Kelly says, crypto is nearing a key moment. The level he says you should watch. Do not go anywhere. We are back in two.
Check out Bitcoin falling more than 5% today, dropping below 20,000. The cryptocurrency is about to close out its worst quarter since 2011. And according to the most recent Delivering Alpha stock survey, investors do not expect things to get much better in the second half of the year. Our very own Bitcoin baller, though, thinks there could be a generational buying opportunity coming for Bitcoin, but not before an even further drop. So let's be clear, not now, down the road. How far is that road, BK? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the, my lawyer answer. It depends. It's a, it's, a, it's a good news, bad news scenario, right? So the good news is I do think we are getting a lot closer to a generational bottom. The bad news is it might not be until Bitcoin hits 10 grand. And by the way, the catalyst for it is going to be inflation expectations picking up and every central bank in the world making a policy error. So that's not a world I'm all that excited about living in. But you know what? Here I am. And I think if you get those three combos, a final flush out of all this leverage in Bitcoin down to 10, 15K, somewhere around that, and inflation expectations picking up, which I think come in the next quarter or so. And we already know every central bank has already made a policy mistake and likely to continue to do more. That is the perfect scenario for a bottom in Bitcoin. So now you have it. We just got to wait. How much do you think of that price decline would be simply the flushing out of leverage in the crypto community? A lot. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot. There's still a lot of leverage out there. There are buyers of last resort out there, but their bids are, you know, 99 or a penny on the dollar, 99% uh, low, their all time high. So the buyers are out there. It's just not at this level. So BK, is this, are we at a Lehman moment for the, for this industry in mm -hmm. terms of leverage or are we months away from yeah. that? Oh, ah, uh, oh, so months away. We're probably months away from the Lehman moment, where, and meaning, you know, that kind of one last flush down, somebody big goes bankrupt that you never expected. Um, we're probably months away from that because we just don't know. There's still a lot of leverage, collateral pledged against collateral elsewhere. It is a... It is a great financial crisis for the crypto world. We built that, the Wall Street 2.0, and it didn't work again, shocker. And so we got to flush that out. Real quick, we're out of time. You're still short. I am still short. All right. For more on crypto, be sure to tune in to a special Crypto Night in America tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Up next, Final Trades. Final trade time, BK. You know, lest you think I don't want to buy anything, I don't want to buy anything with earnings. I want to buy things without earnings, like gold, GLD. Tim. The middle name in my second half basket, Walmart, which is trading back to pre-pandemic levels, and I think their business is strong. Karen. Yes, uh, Alibaba for valuation, fundamental reasons, but I love actually the Carter overlay. That always gives me a little bit of, uh, I don't know, it's a warm blanket for a value stock. <laughs> Alibaba. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I just think over the next few months, you're going to start picking at some of these names that will lead us out of this when we come out of it. So Netflix is my turn. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.